Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Why, why can't we know your teddy bear's name? Are you scared somebody might kidnap your teddy bear? Yeah, it's private. Okay, that's fine. Hello, and welcome to Crush the Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Kirsten Lyons, and I'm joined by my co-host and cousin, Aaron Raderstorff. That's you. That is me. That's All right. So yesterday, I opened up Instagram, an Instagram story mm-hmm. of Aaron. Where did you go on Saturday night? I went to Saddle Ranch Chop House. Okay, first now of I- all, first of all, wait, before you go any further, Saddle Ranch Chop House is in the middle of the Sunset Strip. It has a bull. It does. It also has a mannequins dressed as um, like saloon oh, yeah, women that's on right. the outside on the, of the building. Gosh, it's been a while. But you should also know that you never go to Saddle Ranch on a Saturday. Before the pandemic, it was a different place than what oh, it is I see. now. Because so, it has yes. a lot of outdoor stuff? No, it's because of TikTok. You know, all of the, the TikTokers who all live up in the hills and then like trickle down to sunset when it gets dark, they have made <laughs> Saddle Ranch. <laughs> what? <laughs> they made Saddle Ranch like this place that it absolutely was not. But so the, the target demographic at Saddle Ranch now is like, 21 year olds or 18 year olds with fake IDs. Um, so Aaron, 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 Aaron. Yeah. Hold the on. Target, the target demographic for Saddle Ranch was always 18 to 20 year olds with fake IDs. That has never See, changed. Oh, this makes sense. This was not what I was. Okay. So let me just tell you my night start to finish because okay. it's incredible. So about two weeks in advance, I made these reservations and I really wanted to go because I knew. You made reservations? You Oh, because of COVID, you have to make reservations oh. everywhere in LA. <laughs> So I make these reservations. I'm really hyped to go um, because I knew there was a good chance we would probably see a celebrity. And I was like, I want to go. It looks fun. It looks like a good Can I time. ask you a question really quickly? What is your definition of a celebrity? Um, celebrity. Anyone with notoriety. Okay. Okay. Just yeah. wondering where we're going with that. Okay, go ahead. Um, you know, I was hoping- I'm maybe wondering, like, is it the, the trickling TikTokers? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. We realized, I realized when we walked in, one of the first tables, there was clearly like a famous couple there. I didn't recognize them, but I could tell he was famous because he was shirtless, just wearing a bomber jacket. <laughs> and I was like, that to me, I know something's up there. And so we turned to the group of girls behind us and we're like, who is that? And they're like, oh, it's so-and-so. And one girl in the group like sticks her head out and goes, he's from TikTok. And just like immediately knew we wouldn't know. And I was like, great, I'm loving this. This is incredible. Such a night. So it's because um, you part your hair on the side. You don't part no, it down I don't. the middle. Mine's reg- like kind of Did middle you parted. Guys, just hear her defensiveness when I said you park your hair, part your hair on the side. That was whatever. <laughs> um, it felt like we were at medieval times because not only are you at a themed restaurant, well, yeah, somebody sitting- was shirtless. Hold on, hold on. We're sitting outside of said themed restaurant in what basically looks like a really bad wedding reception because you're just under these tents. <laughs> There's heat lamps everywhere. And it's almost like the main spectacle is just seeing which celebrity's going to come up. 
And we're just watching all of these people in their head. It's like, they're all getting whiplash. They're just looking to see if someone is someone, you know what I mean? Aaron, you went out in LA. That's Chateau Marmont. If you go to Chateau Marmont, it's just that, but A-level celebrities. That's the same thing. That's what I mean. We didn't know who any of these famous people were that were walking up. So they could have been just anyone and everyone's heads are like, oh, and people are like tapping their friend and they're like whipping their phones out and we are cracking up. And then the best thing happens. So on the table, they have a a barcode that you can scan and you Mm -hmm. like pay $5 and you can pick a song in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Now, most of the places that I've been where they have this, you almost never hear your song because everyone has queued up songs. You know, Mm -hmm. we jokingly pick a song, not thinking it's going to play. It immediately stops the Rihanna song that is playing and immediately plays our song. And the entire restaurant goes dead silent (laughs) because what was picked was all that jazz from Chicago. (laughs) So in this restaurant full of like 18 year olds all drinking it's just all that jazz it's a six minute song Kirsten and it (laughs) plays the entire time it's dead silent everyone's looking around trying to figure out what's going on and we are like bright red in tears laughing so hard it was one of the best moments of my entire life just to cap off the night Addison Ray's hot pink Tesla pulls up and all the paparazzi swarm who's Addison Ray? TikTok, she's the new lead in the She's All That remake. Oh, I don't know who that is. She's cute. She's really good friends with Kourtney Kardashian. Even though she's 18. That's Mm -hmm. weird. Kourtney Kardashian's my age. Yeah. Well, if Scott can do it. Um, (laughs) I just got that. I don't even watch. I got it. First, I thought you were talking about my (laughs) brother-in-law, Kylie's husband. I was like, what? Oh, sorry. And then as we were leaving, we're waiting for our Uber. One of the paparazzi guys taps on my friend's shoulders and just goes, hey, are you famous? She goes, no. He goes, no. Oh. He's walking. <laughs> it was such an incredible night. It's me, Kirsten. And we're, what, five episodes in, and we're getting some really amazing feedback from you guys. So thank you so much. But part of that feedback is you guys asking a little bit more about my crushed moment. Um I'm not going to lie. I really didn't want to record this episode as it feels super self-indulgent and weird talking so much about myself and to top it all off, the effects of some of my crush moments are still pretty raw, but I also know that uncomfortable and hard stuff doesn't necessarily mean bad. In fact, hard stuff can often be very, very good as many of you listeners already know. Also, Erin kept hounding me about going deeper, and she's now friends with the TikTokers who trickle down to sunset when it gets dark, and so frankly, I'm scared of making her mad. So, like all good sitcoms from the 80s, 90s, and every Disney Channel TV show there ever was, we realized it was time for our very own, a very special episode. Not tackling childhood smoking or the dangers of playing hide-and-seek in refrigerators. No, this is just being honest and then honest some more. So I invite you to pull up a cozy blanket, or in my case, a very well-loved Care Bear, and settle in as I get real about getting crushed. Um, And I'd like to introduce our guest today. Oh, welcome. It's you. Oh, it's me. (laughs) It's you. You're the guest. It is. I'm the guest. I'm going to be honest. I don't really want to be the guest, but I feel like... Yes, you do. This is a great story. I get what you're saying. You don't like... Here's the thing. One of my crushed moments, I'm fully healed from, thank God. The other crushed moment, I'm not, I just don't know where I'm at. I think that would be, I've talked about it. It's not a shock to anybody that's listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. But I think it, it, 
provides both of these moments in tandem, I think provide a lot of insight to our listeners about one kind of how the show came to be. So a little mm. bit of backstory, mm-hmm. anyone who unfortunately missed out on your incredible one woman show um, and or solo show. Excuse me. <laughs> um, and two, also just some insight into you. And I think it'll, I always think it's great when people have more context about, you know, where your insights are coming from. Mm. So cool. Let's get into yeah. it. So okay. what do you want to know, Aaron? I mean, quick rundown about how Crush, the solo show came to be. Okay. How did you give birth to this beautiful, amazing, <laughs> beautiful, bouncy baby, beautiful, bouncy baby of a show? Um. Okay. Very quickly in the late spring, early, almost summer of 2009, I was on the road to getting married two months shy of uh, my wedding. I was sitting on my fiance at the time, his bed, tying the wedding invitations. My fiance came in and he basically said, I don't think I'm in love with you. I don't think I know what love is. And then he goes, I need to go talk to my sister. She's the only one that understands me and left me and like went out to his porch or deck or whatever apartment in the Hollywood Hills. And I'm just like sitting there. And the weird thing was, is I was very calm. He had a lot of trauma from his childhood. And so it, I I was, I was calm. And then, um, about, he still didn't come back and it'd been like 45 minutes later. Did you just go back to tying invitations? No, I randomly had my journal there, which I, I don't know why my journal was, I think it was in a bag or something. Like I had, I'm not really sure. And, uh, I wrote in my journal and I said, I literally said, dear God, I want someone who would be first be concerned with his relationship with you, then his relationship with me. Meaning like if he's going to hurt me or anything, he's more concerned about you and him because I didn't want to be put on some pedestal. I didn't didn't want to be the be all and end all for somebody. That's just not what I want. It's not a healthy situation. And it it puts a lot of responsibility. I don't know on the relationship. I I definitely, I know the whole you complete me is BS. It's not two halves make a whole. I've just, it's two whole people coming together. Yeah. You're not a half person. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't want to complete someone and I don't want someone to complete me. That doesn't mean someone can't help me grow and all that, but I I still, I believe the healthiest relationships are two whole people. Anyway. So I finally went out to the, like the deck or whatever. And he was sitting there, he was still on the phone and he looked at me and he's like, I have to go. I I assume it's his sister at this point. I still don't know. Anyway, within a few minutes, it came out that he had cheated on me right after he proposed. And that was kind of his MO. Like the first time we broke up, it's because he finally told me right after we decided to become official, he cheated on me. So, you know, as this is coming along, I'm like, wait, what is he going to do after we get married? What is he going to do after we have our first, when I tell him I'm pregnant, is he going to go like find a cheerleading squad? Like, like, I I just don't understand. This is how he kind of deals with it. Right. And he said he needed some time. And again, I was like, okay, like it was so weird. Like I, I I didn't have the wherewithal to be like, no, this isn't okay. Right. Like it was still like this idea of like, I need to take care of him. I need to protect him. I love him. Like he's going to get through this. We're going to get through this. I think also I had been told by so many people, relationships are hard. The hard work of a relationship is, is the communication, but the part that shouldn't be hard is, do I care about you? Do I love you? And do I want to be with you? Those are things that actually shouldn't be hard. Those should be very easy. For two weeks, it was back and forth. 
he actually called off the wedding initially over a text message, like a couple of days later, I was a nanny. I was uh, on vacation with the family. They were on like a little weekend holiday and I was with the kids and I woke up at four in the morning. And I said, the only thing I ask, he was a mixologist bartender. And I said, well, you just please text me when you get home. That's all I want. Like, Mm -hmm. just let me know you've cheated on me. Like, I just want to know you're in your own bed. And he didn't. And I texted him and I said, that's all I asked. And he texted me back at some point and said, I can't do this. It's over. And I said, what do you want with the ring? Because I literally didn't know what, I I didn't know how, I didn't know. Your brain is just going through next steps. I think I was in shock. Yeah. And then when he saw me, he was like, I don't want to call it off. I'm in love with you, blah, blah. So like another week and a half of like back and forth, we weren't really talking. And then he finally called it off. Were you at any point almost like it would just be easier if he did call it off or were you really hoping? Like, were you kind of at that point? No, not there. I was so, here's the thing. My first real relationship was at 22 to 23, but then we were on again, off again for a couple of years. And he was the first guy I ever fell in love with. Like he was my first boyfriend, like, you know, and for that relationship, I wasn't myself. I, as my mom would say, you twisted yourself up in a pretzel for him to love you kind of a thing. Like I, (laughs) I kind of, I, I don't know. I just like kind of stopped being smart and funny because I was so, trying to be what he wanted me to be. I, it was just a very, it was a very mixed up relationship Mm -hmm. and he's a good guy and he's married with kids now. And I just, I wish him the best, but we weren't right for each other. Um, my ex, I was just authentically myself. I was just totally, I had gotten to a place I dated other guys and, and I had realized like, this is me, like take it or leave it. So I think there was an element of when he left it, he left me. It was, for me, it was the worst rejection because he looked in my face and he said, I don't want you, I don't love you. Basically, you don't yeah. matter. So it was really, really terrible. Um, and, you know, things, I, I left and went to Maine and worked at a camp for a couple um, months, which was you amazing. Lived, you lived at a summer camp. He won $100,000. On a reality show. On a reality show. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it just, the hits kept coming. Here I was like literally not able to pay rent. Oh, and here was the other thing. I had moved out of my apartment. All my stuff was in storage. I was staying with a friend because I was about to get an apartment for us. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So like, that's why I was on his bed because we didn't live together before we got married. Um, That wasn't something I was, that was a non-negotiable for me, but it was just like, it was just such a weird, I didn't have anything. I remember calling my manager at the time, my, my talent manager and being like, I gotta go. And she was like, go. And the people I nannied for were so gracious. And it was just, it was weird. Like there was all these things that kind of fell into place that allowed me to get out of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. My, the family I nannied for, they were like, actually our, one of our favorite nannies, she's gonna be back for the summer. She needs work. This is great. Go like, do what you need to do. Take care of yourself. The camp that I had worked at eight years before, before I moved to LA, I emailed them. I said, I don't even know if you remember me, but I would love a, if you have anything, I know the camp's going to start in like two weeks. They emailed me back and they said, somebody had quit literally two days before somebody had to like leave. And they said, they weren't going to fill the position. She said, she woke up that morning and was like, I need to fill the position. Went to her email to start going through resumes that, you know, they'd had for months and saw my email and was like, what? Like, she didn't have to interview anybody. She knew me like, So there was just a really beautiful things that fell into place, but I couldn't see any of that. Mm -hmm. I was in so much pain. So, um, yeah, so I worked for, and one of the reasons I want to go to the camp is I was like, I want to go 
and not look at myself for two months. Like, I don't want to just stare in a mirror, sit on, sit on a bed, cry. I'd already done that for two weeks. And I was like, I got to get out and I got to go like serve other people, like be like, take care of other people that I'm very much like a maternal person in general, but I just, I didn't want to make it all about me. I didn't want to be this like victim in a closed dark room, just bawling. (laughs) Um, at one point I had, I don't think I'd gotten off the couch in like three days, pretty much. I mean, I would just go to the basement and sob these like guttural cries. And I remember I hadn't gotten off the couch in like three days. And one of my sisters and my mom, I had a t-shirt, no bra and sweatpants on. They, they dragged me out of the house and they said, you're going to get wings with your father and your sister. And I was like, no, I'm not. And they're like, we're not letting you back in the house until you get that. And they like threw a bra outside and I had to go. (laughs) So I was definitely not in a good place. Didn't he propose to you at his own bar? No. Well, we met at Bar Marmont. And so he proposed to me at Chateau Marmont, which is like next to Bar Marmont. He proposed, he like pretended there was a private event, this whole thing. Kind Kind of. of. Well, on the balcony. I mean, it was pretty, you know what it was? It was everything I thought I wanted. So that's the thing. My ex was everything I thought I wanted. He kind of was wrapped up in a little bow of like all these things I thought I wanted. And then I got it. And then it just broke my heart in so many different ways. I don't think I was truly healed until I wrote Crushed. And so we, the wedding was called off in 2009 and I wrote Crushed in 2012, in the beginning of 2012. Wow. So at this point I'd been married almost a year by the time I wrote Crushed. So I wrote Have Crushed. Have been in your head for a while that you wanted to, to do something kind of like this? No, uh, I read Mindy Kaling's book. And she kind of talked about doing something for a New York Fringe Festival. And then I watched Carrie Fisher's one woman show on a plane, on like her HBO special. And I was like, I think I could do that. I don't mean I could do Carrie, <laughs> Carrie Fisher's show. She's amazing. But I was like, I write. Um, I took a class for solo shows with this woman who was awesome. I can't remember her name. And she kind of helped me craft. The whole thing was there, but it was two hours and I needed it. She said, you need to get it to a tight hour. So, um, so anyway, she kind of really, all it did was help me kind of set the stage where to drop the audience in, in the story. And so the audience, when you first came in, I'm at the moment where I find out. And my ex had his, oh my gosh, if this was not a red flag, I just was, my ex had his bathroom painted in black chalkboard paint and people would sign his bathroom. Well, there's a ton of girls signatures and like different things (laughs) And he never got rid of them. I knew he had slept with all of them, but it was just such a (laughs) weird thing. I don't know. Anyway, so it kind of started in this chalkboard painted bathroom. That's where kind of this show dropped you in. And then you follow all these boys that I loved um, that didn't love me back. And there's, it's funny. I mean, there's some really funny things. I mean, it's basically like our show, you know, playing MASH and all that kind of stuff. Genuinely hilarious. Like, I think I saw it three times. Uh, every time so funny. I mean, I think you're an incredible performer and it was so well-written, but I think I also, you know, you had always been my, pretty much like my older sister. And I don't think it ever occurred to me that like you felt, this is going to sound dramatic, but like that you felt pain. You know, I knew Mm. that the wedding had been called off, but I just, you know, I didn't see those moments of you in the house crying. Most of the time that we interacted when it was, when everything was put together, if that makes sense. Mm. And so I think the first time I saw that, I was like, wow. Oh, you know. Yeah. I think there's. through it. It was so humanizing, I think. Mm. You know, I I think it was, there was an element for me 
that was so cathartic. It, there, it wasn't an element. It was so cathartic and healing, kind of drudging through the past, but in a really sweet and funny way. Um, I wasn't trying to minimize the pain, but I also wasn't trying to drudge it up just to drudge it up for that sake, you know? Um, and you know, half the guys got cut because I needed to cut the show in half. So <laughs> I remember there's a guy and he was so excited. He brought, he brought his like now wife and like one of our mutual friends who is an actor and they're all there. And he was sure he was going to be in it. Oh, and he wasn't. And I was like, sorry, dude. Like your story wasn't compelling. Not, not one of the top it was, it, it was <laughs> a great story. Um, he decided we went out in high school and it was like, we had a great date and it was long story short. He stopped, he totally ghosted me because he, he didn't tell me this till years later, but he said, you were the type of girl I could fall in love with. And I knew you were going to sleep with me. And he was like, I wanted to lose my virginity. So I wanted nothing to do with you because you weren't going to do that for me. Through the through line of the show is that I, my parents gave me a purity ring when I was 17 and I, and I asked for it. I wanted to remain a virgin until I was married and a lot of the show is guys trying to figure out how to get that ring, especially in college. There was this one guy, oh my gosh, he was like a frat boy president. We dated for like, I don't know, like three weeks. And he <laughs> put on Armageddon and then he goes, wait, wait, stop. I want you to see this. And it was the scene with the animal crackers. And she goes like, do you think anybody's about to do what we're about to do? And Ben goes, I wish baby, or I hope so. Or what are we going up there for? He pauses the movie. He looks at me and he's like, so? And I'm like, what? And he's like, he makes a good point, right? He literally goes, he makes a good point, right? And I was like, um. For them going up into space, maybe. Like I was like, dude, you're not, there's not an asteroid about to hit the earth and you're not going up there. Like what? Like just the hilarious things. The guys thought it was like this prize or something. I don't know. Totally. Spoiler I mean, alert. I didn't wait till I was married. My first boyfriend and I- um, and, uh, <laughs> and that's actually one of the reasons we broke up. Cause I, it didn't feel authentic to me after like, you know, like a, almost a year of dating. I was like, this isn't me. I don't feel, I don't feel like myself. I feel like I've changed myself to be with you. And, um, it was just, it was a really big kind of reckoning of like, who am I? What do I believe? Um, do you think that moment, or, or I should say that decision was really inspired by faith and then it would just became a, something really personal to you or do you think it always had kind of that faith through line the wanting to remain a virgin till i was married yeah um i think it was equal parts faith and equal parts it just made sense to me that's fair from a from an emotional like scientific background not from a not from a physical background, from a physical place. I was like, mm, this doesn't make sense, but it really, okay. I should state this. I was brought up in purity culture, which is this idea of like, wait until you're married and like, don't unwrap the present. And like, you're a flower. Don't let it, I don't know. Just a bunch of BS that I think a lot of that is BS. And it's based on like shame and all the stuff that is not what I believe now. And I really do believe in the idea of chastity, but that's very different than purity. And I know- Your parents are, didn't- um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? They didn't like advocate for all that purity culture stuff. I no, think they, I, no, yeah, actually no. I kind of went out and sought it out. Like I would read these books and these magazines and it just kind of had it in there. I mean, my parents yeah. got me like a, a subscription to this Christian girls magazine called Brio, but they didn't know. They didn't know that's what it, you know? Yeah. No, no. My parents definitely weren't. My parents were like, I had a book. I knew what sex was when I was like three, they had a book that like, it was a kid's book and it, it where did I come from? My parents were very like, conservative Catholic, yet really kind of like San Diego hippies all at the same time, like super open. My mom was in therapy, you know, like it was just, it was such a funny like mixture, but yeah. Wow, that's so true. Now that you say it that way. I've yeah, never... that's yeah, yeah, so yeah. True. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kirsten. Do you think people are sick of hearing me talk? I was just about to ask you the same thing. Well, thanks a lot. You're the one that wanted this episode. Were you also about to ask me where you can find the latest sneakers and the cutest styles that work for your new lifestyle of working out every single day? How did you know that's exactly what I was going to ask you? You're my baby cousin. I got you. Also, I can't believe you work out every day, but that's for a completely different conversation. I can believe that you can get the latest releases or even rare vintage sneakers at the eBay marketplace. You're kidding. No, not one bit eBay even has authenticity guarantee that your sneakers will be meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Did you just say meticulously? No, I did. There's a literal team of experienced sneaker authenticators verifying the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Wow, I can't thank you enough for telling me about this. I'm going to have the best new kicks in my workout. Just head over to ebay.com slash sneakers today eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. You know, as I'm breaking up with my first boyfriend, I'm kind of finding the Catholic faith again. Cause I, I was raised Catholic, but not really. And I was like, I'm not Catholic. Like I'm not going to be Catholic when I was 14. I didn't want to get confirmed. And I left the faith and I was kind of like wandering. I was just like, just Jesus. And then sometimes I was like, I don't think I believe in anything. And you know, and then after my first relationship, I read some parts of theology of the body, which was Pope John Paul. And, um, I read some other things and it just made so I can't explain it except it made sense. Mm -hmm. And I felt for the first time, like I was, there was something really valuable about me as a woman and valuable about me as a, no valuable about me as a person. Mm -hmm. Like I saw the dignity of a person and I saw the dignity in other people. And I think I, I was always using people which, without even realizing it. My value and self-worth was so skewed. And, you know, I moved out to LA. I've, I said this on the podcast before. I moved out to LA 50% because I love telling stories and I love performing and I loved making people think and making people laugh. And I just love performing. 50% of me moved out of there, moved out here or there to become famous to prove my worth. Because if I become famous and everybody would know and they would feel bad and they would apologize and I would get these MySpace messages or whatever, you know. There wasn't even MySpace back then. There was like classmates.com. And I, I, I mean, honestly, it's John Mayer's song. I wanted to bust down the double doors. I wanted to stand on the lunch table and I wanted everybody to be like, we were wrong and like cheer for me. I mean, that's literally like in my head what I thought, like being on Jay Leno, being like, what now? I look at some of the Facebook things I wrote when Facebook was first starting out and just how I would say things about people because I felt so terrible about myself and they had bullied me so much that I, now I'm at this place where I'm now kind of on TV shows and stuff. So now I can like kind of put down the people that made fun of me that just like, I was, I was mixed up. I was super mixed up. And so there was this element of like, when I was reading these things and I was seeing the dignity of a person, another person, and my worth and value is no less or no more than that person over there. And the ideas 
I don't know. It just was like, oh, Mm -hmm. it just made a lot of sense to me. So anyway, all that to say, um, when I was doing, when I was writing Crushed, I also was so beaten down by LA that I was like, this is it. This is my last thing. If nothing happens, I'm done. I'm out of here. Like, this is it. I can't do this business anymore. You love making these proclamations. I do. I'm very (laughs) dramatic. And well, and to be fair at that point, I think I had been doing it for like 12, like 11 years, no, 10 years. I'd been in LA for 10 years. And what do you know? Crush did pretty well. Crush did. It did pretty well. Um, a really big writer and producer came and saw it and loved it and wanted to work with me and wanted to develop it maybe as a pilot. It's funny because Crushed helped me in so many ways, but Crushed also caused Crushed moments, which is ironic. And I think that's kind of how I came to this podcast. This was 2012 that I did Crushed. In 2015, we have Ellis. We have Ashley who's moved in with us. Bradley is now living apart from us because he took a job because we needed money. So he took a job hosting a show in Arizona, but we wanted to stay back in LA because I was still auditioning a little bit. And also mostly because our oldest was in an incredible charter school and we did not want to pull her out. It was her senior year. So we lived apart for nine months. We see each other on the weekends. It was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was one of the hardest moments of our like marriage, but it was also awesome and great. And it brought us closer together and I I never felt like we shouldn't do it. It was just hard because life can be hard sometimes. You know, we do hard things. So I had met with some managers over the course of these like nine months to a year, some big managers. A friend of mine had gotten me some meetings. They all really liked me. But like a lot of things, they were like, sorry, we just couldn't get everybody on board or sorry, you're not, this isn't the right fit or whatever. And I had some of these meetings were like an hour long. You walk out and you're like, I made them laugh. This is great. They introduced me to the whole team. And all of them didn't go anywhere except one agency. The guy really liked me. And he was like, Hey, you said you wrote a pilot. Let me see your pilot. So I like, I was like, Hey, you know, uh, I'm going to, you asked me to send you your pilot. He sent it. He's like, look, we got a new agent and she saw it. She read it and she responded back and she was like, wow, I was really surprised at how good this pilot was. Um, I'd love to see you perform. Are you performing? And I said, you know, I've been thinking about putting Crush back up because it had been at this point two years. And I was like, I'm thinking about putting Crush back on. She goes, I'll be there. I was like, I got to put it back up. And a very dear friend of mine helped me produce it because Bradley was out of town for most of it. We could afford two nights. What, sorry, when you said you could afford it, like, what are you? You're paying for rental, theater rental space, um, marketing stuff, like all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. You have to pay for things. Yeah. To do things. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we've done, it comes out of our pocket when we're creating stuff, unless we're doing something for a brand, we're paying for it. So I paid for crush the first time I paid for, I assumed like the marketing stuff you paid for. It just never occurred to me that you're, you were paying for the theater space, which makes sense, but. Oh yeah. It can be anywhere, depending on when you're doing it, it can be anywhere from like $600 a night to $300 a night. Just depends. Uh, we put it up and I, and I did really cute marketing stuff. We'll put this on the thing, but it was like a binder with like a note that was like, had the crush promo on the front. And then there was like a headshot that I drew a little mustache on. And then the binder was like a handwritten note to the person that was like, what's up? Like math class was so crazy. Are you coming to see me and crushed and had like a pencil case with like a troll pencil and slap bracelet with crushed. And I sent it to her. I got an email. She said, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. I wasn't even going to come. But now that you sent me this, this is genius. And she bought tickets. And I was like, wait, you weren't going to come? Like you said you were going to come, which is LA in a nutshell, right? I'll see you there. Not coming. Let's talk. We won't. 
But I was like, I'm putting this on for like you. And I invited so many casting directors and agents and managers. Thursday night was the night that she was going to come. And I killed it. The house was packed. My friends came, other people came, but nobody on my list, but she had bought tickets. She never showed up. She never came. I can't tell you how much that hurt. It was like, I put all of this money and time and effort into, you said you would come and you didn't. And like the pain of that, because it wasn't just this, it was 10, at this point, it was almost 13 years of Los Angeles. You said you would and you didn't. You said I was good, but you didn't. You like, it just didn't matter what I did. It's like, I couldn't push through the door. Right before the pandemic started last year, I looked her up and I, I, I got, tried to get in touch with other managers and people in my life. And pretty much everybody had passed that basically the, the thing is, if you haven't made it by now, no matter how talented you are, there's no point. That's kind of the, we don't, you're small, you're small potatoes. So I found out that my friend was repped by the same management company. Now she's not an agent. She's a manager at this pretty big management company. So my friend's like, I'm an, let me see if I, if I can send your stuff over, my pilots and my reel and all that kind of stuff. And she said, of course I remember her. She sent me like the greatest thing, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, she remembers me, but she never came. Okay. He sent over my stuff. February 19th is my birthday. On my birthday, I get this text message. It's not going to work out with her. Unfortunately, her words apparently were, quote unquote, she wants to be holy shit excited about anyone new. Why would anyone tell you that? Why even share that? Because that's this business. That's so, I would have just lied and said her roster is full. Here's the thing. You can't say the roster is full when the person's had my script for a week and they asked to read it. Okay, but even still, make up a nicer lie. Like that's just- Well, that's not LA. Like I, I, and honestly, in a lot of ways, I didn't want to be lied to. Okay, so now here I am in 2021 with this podcast, living in Atlanta, which is a- entertainment community. It's not as big as LA or New York, but it's a pretty big entertainment community. And I'm, I'm, I I'm lost. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I go back. Like I, no, it's not even going back. I don't want to go back. I don't know if I've been out of the game for six years to raise our two older kids. And I've been out of the game for six years because I needed to heal and I was in pain, but now I don't know what to do. I went to two auditions in New York. I booked one of them. It was like a digital spot for Nickelodeon Jr. Not so many, but I've had a little bit here, a little bit there, read my scripts. And they've been like, wow, this is great. We love it. We just don't know what to do with it. And that's kind of been my whole life since yeah. moving to LA. We love you. We don't know what to do with you. It's just this world of like, you're not this, you're not that, you're not, you're not enough is what it feels like. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is I don't put my value and worth in what they say anymore. I'm not at the place where I think that what they say is gold or God, you know, but now I'm like, like, it's funny. Our, our guest last week, Aaron said, you know, I had to ask myself these questions. Do I want to still do this? And the fact of the matter is, is I do like, I do this stuff for free. You know, I, we wrote and directed, we'll put it up, but we did a Hallmark sketch two Christmases ago. It got some traction this year on TikTok. 
I've written so many pilots. I've, I know it's good. It's just, nobody's opened the door. Yeah. Wide enough so I can get through. They've opened the door a little bit and then they should shut it again. Well, they open it a little bit and they're like, I mean, if you can fit, yeah. I mean, if you, and, and, but it's not reasonable, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's where I'm, I just am being honest. Like I'm dumbfounded what to do. I have to acknowledge the fact that I still do want to do this and I still love it. Like just, yeah. we live across from a movie studio where we moved. It, it's a, this really awesome creative community. We live across from a movie studio and I pass it and I'm like, I love that place. And it's not because I want to be famous anymore, which thank God that's done with. And it's not because I want to show my worth. It's just, I love it. Yeah. And I, so I'm asking listeners to pray <laughs> for me. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge these moments and are vulnerable and honest about them that we don't know what to do. And we're, I'm, I think I'm scared to take the next step because I've done that so many times and it's always the same thing, but for whatever reason, this time feels a little bit different, but I don't know why. And yeah, I don't know. Do you think the stakes feel a little lower partly because your worth isn't wrapped up? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I have learned anything from our past four, five Mm -hmm. guests, there's kind of this running theme of them, you know, it, it wasn't your room, you know? I remember Bradley said, it wasn't that marriage wasn't what was for you. It's that your ex marriage with your ex wasn't for you. I mean, I think it is, it's incredible that you're even still like considering it. And like, you did go back and think about the questions and think about, is this something I'm still interested in? Is this something I even like? Do I even like acting still? That's honest. And I'm super excited to kind of be on this journey with you and just, thank you. you know, you know, the situations that we've all been through, because I think if 2020 showed anything, it was that I'm going to reference Timeless and I'm glad I waited five episodes to do it. Timeless <laughs> is my favorite show. The, the main theme in Timeless is basically like everyone's shared history is loss. You cannot go through life without experiencing loss in some mm. form, mm-hmm. but it's always going to look different and it's going to impact everyone differently. I've been in an Al- Al-Anon for years friends and family pamphlet one time. So, oh, well, there you go. You and I are on the same page. No, but they, they talk about like, take what you need and leave the rest or take what you take, what helps and leave the rest. And I think that's a lot of this show is like the best way I know how to love someone is to listen to someone and is to give them a space. And this, hopefully this podcast is a space, not only for the people that we're interviewing, but for you, the listener. And, um, you're so loved, you know, and, and that's my hope with this whole podcast is that, you know, I always say, you know, you're not alone, you know, you're loved, you know, you're valued and, um, there's hope in that. Let me, let me wrap up with sort of a play on our normal questions. Okay. What was the worst advice you can pick which crushed moment? Cause you kind of talked about too. What was the worst advice you got in the midst of both of those moments? Oh, that's an interesting thing. I think the worst advice was it'll happen. All the agents and managers, you could tell they felt bad because they liked me, right? Like that was the thing. They really enjoyed spending time with me or whatever. And they were like, you're going to find someone who's great. And I want to be like, can you introduce me to them? Like, (laughs) so I I think there was this element of like, it's going to happen. And I'm like, you don't know. But in that, 
I think I have flipped so far from the positive of it's going to happen to the negative of no, it's not. Instead of the hopeful, which I think hope is just knowing where your hope lies, right? For me, my hope lies in the truth of God and maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But ultimately I trust that whatever's going to happen is the best thing for me. Yeah. But that's a really hard thing to do. Oh yeah. And and to, to lean on, not to lean on that, but to really kind of put your faith in that idea that kind of what's meant yeah. to be will be is tough. I mean, I moved to LA 19 years ago to, pers- to pursue this dream. And I will say that I am so grateful it didn't happen the way I wanted it to. I love hearing that. It's humble. And it's also humbling to admit that. It's humbling to admit that everything that you wanted was wrong. Well, it goes back to my ex. I thought this was what I thought I wanted. And then I was like- engaged on the patio of the Chateau Chateau Marmont, you know. This guy from New York, this like city guy and- Looking down on the Beautiful, yeah. And, and when it blew up in my face, realizing I didn't know what was good for me. All right. What was the best advice you got in either of those moments? I honestly don't remember. I don't remember getting <laughs> any good. You know what? No, that's not true. And the year anniversary of the engagement. So it's a year past. My ex, when we got engaged, the 48 hours before, he would call me every hour not because he loved me, but because he made a huge mistake and he felt bad because he knew the engagement was coming. He was a narcissist and he was like, I can't put the brakes on this. So I got to make her love me again so I could get, because everybody knows she's about to be proposed to. Anyway, he would call me every hour and tell me one thing he loved about me. And one of the hardest things about breaking up was I was like, is that all not true? Like when you said you love this about me or that about me, Bradley created this little box and in it were these little words he had cut out and they were truths but they weren't what he thought about me or he liked, or and at that point we weren't even in love. We just started dating like a month before, but he was like, these are just truths about you. These are just how God made you. These are truths. If you and I don't work out, none of these, this is not contingent on me. It was such a weird thing to have someone look at you and tell you so many great things about you and then take them all away and say, I didn't mean it. And I cheated on you and I don't love you and I don't want you. And in this moment, it was this idea that like, there were so many true, there's so something so true about who I am as a human, as, as for what I believe is a beloved child of God, that has nothing to do with anybody else. And that is such a bizarre thing when you live in Los Angeles and we've told many stories, everybody's telling you what you are and who you are and what to do and how to think and what you should do with your body or your face or your hair or whatever. Man, Bradley really raised the bar. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like now I'm like, oh my gosh, what an idiot I was. Like he was incredible. Yeah. He is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. That's what I mean about like, I don't know what I need. I yeah, don't know what's good enough. for me. Lastly, what was the song? I have two songs and they're both Taylor Swift, Tay Tay. It's, I think it's White Horse where she's talking about like, I'm not a princess. This isn't a fairy tale. That was the end of my engagement. And with everything with the career was Dear John. Because Dear John to me was, Dear John is the toxic boyfriend that my career is. Yeah. And trying like, and yeah. So in a lot of ways, I would say dear John more than anything. I think there's an element when we're going through these horrible things, whether it's me being, and and it all, it's like this element of like, I'm going to get over this. And then I'm going to show you how wrong you were. Bullies, boys, LA job, whatever. And I think the healing takes place when you don't care about showing them anymore. Yeah. 
And I don't care about showing my ex anymore. I, I wish think- him well. And I, and I think, I think I don't care if Los Angeles likes me back. Slow clap it up. <laughs> no, Beautiful. I really don't. And it's funny, but that you were talking about to wrap this all up with the saddle ranch story. So my birthday a couple years ago, the, that night we went out to dinner with our best friends, the Godfrey's who we spent my 40th birthday mm-hmm. with. They were still living in LA at the time. And we went to uh, Cafe Madre. No, uh, Gracias, Gracias Madre. Madre. We went to Gracias Madre. I haven't, we've lit, we're in Phoenix at the time. I don't think we're in New York yet. I think we're still in Phoenix. And I haven't been to an LA spot in a long time. And I remember I didn't really dress. I didn't bring anything for like going out. I was like in a striped shirt and like my friend's rain boots. I I wasn't like, or maybe Kylie's rain boots. I, I definitely was not like cute. I was like, fine. I look like a yeah. cute mom. We go in, we walk in, everybody turns around to see who the next four people in. And everybody goes, huh? Shrugs their shoulder, turns back. And it was this collective moment of you're nobody. I don't need to, you're not important, you're nobody. And I remember the whole night I felt so uncomfortable. I just hated it. I just wanted, the food was so delicious, but I just wanted to leave because it was like this amalgamation of everything Los Angeles meant. You're nobody, you don't matter. And you're eating overpriced vegan Mexican food. Yes, but it is very delicious, but it is very overpriced. I was like, this is a sweet potato. Why am I paying $17 for a sweet potato? (laughs) This is a sweet potato with black beans on it. Can we go? (laughs) Yes, but- I can say with certainty that where I am in my life and what we've been through as a family, as a couple, with our kids, I can say with certainty that I could go to that restaurant right now and not give a flying if somebody turns around. I spent so many years walking into bars, restaurants, casting offices, um, you know, manager's office, agent's office, walking in being like, will you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Tell, tell me, tell me I'm valued. Tell me I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. And I let all of these people that didn't know who they were try to tell me who I am. And now I'm like, no, you don't get that anymore. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm, my mirror is God and I'm going to let him tell me who I am. And that's the, and, and that, you know, you and I were talking a couple of days ago, but that's the, I've tried everything else. Mm-hmm. I've tried letting and casting directors and commercials and magazines and, you know, boys and jobs and everything tell me who I am and tell me what my value is. And the only thing that's worked and the only way I've gotten peace is God. That's the only way. And so I'm just, and it's a, you know, like Aaron said in the last episode, it's a daily practice. I'm not saying I'm great at it, but I'm trying if, if you're not there or you're, that's not what you believe, I love you. And I'm not trying to get you to believe anything. I'm just saying, hey, this is what worked for me. So, but we love you. We'll have other people on here that believe that. And we'll have other people on here that don't. But I hope that this community is just a shared community of cool people. Cool people, uh, great stories. <laughs> crush the podcast. Cool people, great stories. Um, Aaron, I love you. I love you. This was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. When will my episode air? <laughs> this week? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. You're editing it. That's up to you. Oh, golly. All right. Well, I love you. You're amazing. Hey, thanks for listening to Crush the Podcast. And sorry you never got to see Crush the Show. That's yeah. You're just late. 
I have a video somewhere. Maybe one day I'll put it up on YouTube and people can watch it. So thanks for listening to Crush the Podcast. I'm Kirsten Lyons. And I'm Erin Raiderstorff. Sad. <laughs> and I'm Erin Raiderstorff. And you can find us on Instagram at Crushed Podcast. And you can like all of our stuff because we put a lot of work yeah, into it. Yeah, and can you guys start giving us some reviews? That would be super helpful. Go to Apple, go to Spotify, give us five stars. Tell us you like us. <laughs> After I just said, I don't need anybody <laughs> to tell me like us. We actually do need please, to do this. Please tell us how great you think we are. Kirsten specifically, she really needs it. Just write something nice. <laughs> Bradley always goes, you just need a win. I'm like, no, I'm okay. All right, we love you. Goodbye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.